serve him with a wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9. David speaking to his son, he says, And you, my son, acknowledge God, the God of our father, your father, and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motion behind the thoughts. If you seek him, he will, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. The Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. This message will make a difference. Will make a difference between success and failure in the kingdom of God. This message will make a difference as to whether we go to the end. We find ourselves in the end full of, of joy, shouting for glory. Or we come to our end and we simply give a sigh of re- regret. And so this morning, lend me your ear. I want you to give me the best that you've got. And if you can, give me the best of your heart. Because we go into this passage of Scripture, this message this morning, I want us to see that it's about a commission that He has given each one of us. And even if you are sitting there this morning and you just utter that silent cry, Oh God, please, would you help me hear this? Would you help me, Lord? I believe that the message is for all of us this morning. I believe it is for... His church. I believe it's a word from the Lord to His church today. Shall we pray? Father, once again, we're before You and I want to remind, be reminded and remind all that's here that Your word is certainly a lamp unto our feet and a light for our paths. Lord, Your word is something that You said we should hide in our heart so we would not sin against You, my Lord. And Father, I think that if any one of us think we stand, then we need to take heed lest we fall flat on our face. Because what? We cannot stand in our own strength. It is impossible. None of us can, Lord. We cannot make it in our own wisdom, in our own understanding. We can't make it through. We lead on our own resources. We've got to come to the place in our lives to recognize how important it is to bend our knees before you. I ask you, Lord God, for the grace that I might speak your word in a way that others might come to know you and be transformed by it. Let the word come forth. Anoint. The word is already anointed, Lord, but anoint the words that are coming forth. Touch hearts. We might actually know what is right and wrong and find ourselves in your presence in the very end. Father, I pray that you will bless each one of us with your word as it comes forth. Pray, Lord, for this church that we ourselves can behold and recognize in a deeper, a deeper way, a, 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 a deeper convi- commitment, Lord, a, a deeper conviction. And let that be powerful in each one of our hearts. We can turn to you in all things. And I thank you for all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Verse 6 tells us that David speaks to his son Solomon and says, Solomon, basically, there's an appointed work for you to do, a specific work that I that you're called to do. And it it is called, you've been appointed to bring glory unto the Father's name. 
You've been appointed, he said, for a specific work. And I started thinking how that is so much. That's the message the Lord gives to us as well this very day. He's saying to you and I here today that we have been appointed to a specific work, and that work is to bring glory unto the Father's name. And I think about Solomon as you go through this. We're going to find that Solomon, as he was appointed, he was given all the resources necessary, all the advantages to fulfill God's plan and purpose for his life. And I thought, you know, the same is true for us. The God Almighty has given us a specific call to bring glory unto his name, and he has given us and provided every advantage that you and I need to fulfill that call in our personal lives. Verse 11 starts, Then David, and the scripture says, gave his son Solomon the plans for the portico of the, of the temple, its buildings and its storerooms, the upper parts, the inner rooms, and the place of atonement. He gave the plans that the Spirit had put upon his mind for the courts of the temple of the Lord and all the surrounding rooms for the treasuries of the temple of God and for the treasuries for the dedicated things. He gave everything that was necessary. And I started thinking, you know, if we attend this church, if you attend this church, this local congregation, and if you're born of the Spirit of the Lord, and if you have the Word of God, you understand the ways of God. And you have every advantage, you have every advantage, every advantage that Solomon had himself. Because I believe there's absolutely nothing hidden from a seeking heart. And none of us can get to the end of our journey and say, well, I didn't know, it wasn't clear. Because the truth is, if it wasn't clear to you, then it you didn't want it to be clear. And if it's not clear to you and you don't understand and didn't know that it wasn't and didn't understand completely, it's because you shut your mind to what God wanted to speak. See, Solomon in verse 10 knew exactly what he had been called to do. Verse 10 said, Consider now, David says, Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. And notice what he says, Be strong and do what? And do the work. David says, Solomon, you're called. Son, you've been called. You know what you got to do. Folks, we have been called. We know exactly what we are to do. Without a question. You and I are the temple of the living God. How many times throughout the year I have said to you and reminded us time and time again, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I are the temple of the living God. And the Holy Spirit of God and the truth of God has come into these physical bodies. And we are called to be a testimony, a testimony of the reality of God, of the life of God, of the mercy of God, and of the power of God. And we should know and we should be reminded that when we gather together, we meet together to worship in this church as a church body. We are to be so alive in Christ that we become a living testimony to those who are living in darkness. A testimony to those outside that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior that indeed He is alive, He is risen from the dead, and He has provided all the provision necessary for us to fulfill His calling. We are told very clearly that He has provided all. First Corinthians chapter 28, moving on a little bit further, we're told there clearly that the Lord has provided all things. David had provided all things. It was all things were given. He said, David said to his son, He gave him instructions for the division of the priests and the Levites for all the work and serving of the temple of the Lord. He told Solomon, the weights of gold and the weights of silver for the lampstands. The weights of gold and for the, for the, each table and for the 
silverware that was going to be used, the pitchers, etc., for the chariot, for the cherubim that were going to be spreading out their wings before the Ark of the Covenant. Lord, David provided it all for him to fulfill God's call, his purpose. And I started thinking, you know, David becomes a type of Christ for each one of us because Christ has provided us everything he needs to build a temple within you and I. We have all the provisions necessary. It's all ours in Christ. There's nothing hidden, nothing lacking, nothing withheld. So I don't want any one of us to ever believe without a shadow of a doubt. And when we minister to those outside these four walls, regardless of the situation, the condition they might, we might find them in or they might find themselves in, never, ever, ever believe the, the lie of the evil one that we cannot become what God has called us to become in Christ Jesus. Regardless of our background, regardless of where we have come from, regardless of those hidden, those closets, those skeletons and closets, etc., we can become all that God has called us to become. Because whatever He's asked you to do, it will be accomplished. It'll be accomplished not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of the living God living inside each one of us. Amen. What I find interesting is verse 21. It's kind of exciting. It's a reminder to each one of us. Notice when, when David is telling Solomon, he's saying, look at guy. He said, all the divisions, I'm giving you all the information, the division of the priests and the Levites, they are all ready to work on the temple of God. Every willing man skilled in craft will help you in the work. Notice this. Will what? Help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will what? Obey every command. You know what he's saying? You're not alone. He's saying, Solomon, God has called you to build a temple. He is preparing you. He is giving you all the resources. And I want you to understand, it's not on your shoulders alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. You know, we're not alone, folks. As the body of Christ, we're not alone. We are the house of God. We are not alone. The testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ is, is within us, every one of us. And I thank God that you and I, as we approach and we continue to fulfill God's plan and purpose, we are not alone. We are workers together with Him. And so when we come together, we are called to encourage one another and to realize that together, 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 we can move forward. We can move forward as, as a testimony of our God as each one of us do our part. The gifts He's given so we can become part of the witness to those around us here on this earth. Amen? Verse 8. So David says to his son Solomon, so now I charge you. Here's what God wants. Here's the provision that is there. Now I charge you. I charge you in the sight of all of Israel and of the assembly of the Lord, in the hearing of our God. Be careful. Well, I wish, as I look back in hindsight, maybe Solomon himself wished he had paid attention to that right there. The Lord said, Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land. And what was the purpose for it? To pass it on. Pass it on. The testimony that God Almighty has given to you, the provision He has made for you to receive the power of the Most Holy God. Listen to me. It's not just to be consumed for ourselves, but it is to be passed on to the next generation. He said, I want you to be careful. Follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. Not just one generation, but for the next to the next to the next. 
And so Solomon is told by David, his father, that he will fulfill, he will fully fulfill his calling. And he would leave a, a, a strong and complete inheritance. He would pass it on to the next generation. He would pass it on to those who would follow him. But he says, Solomon, son, be careful. And that's where Solomon failed. He failed because he wasn't careful. He wasn't careful. Be careful, he says. And as you and I follow Lord God Almighty, the message, the promise is still the same for us. Follow Him. Follow Him in heart and a willing mind. Follow Him. And as you do that, you will pass on an inheritance. And you'll leave a strong inheritance. Amen. See, I was thinking, and this is just my heart, I guess. I don't want to leave a weak inheritance at the end of the days of my life. I don't want to leave a weak church. When my season behind this pulpit is over, I don't want you wondering where God is. Or how to find Him. So be careful. To follow the commands of our Lord. To pass on for the next generation. And Solomon failed. He failed. He failed to leave that inheritance to pass on. He failed. The scripture tells us in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 43, that when Solomon had come to the end of his life, he was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, was to succeed him. You go back into the history, you're going to find out that his son was, was weak. His son was vain. His son was foolish. And so because Solomon was not careful, he actually set the stage for Israel to eventually be overpowered and conquered by the enemy. Solomon didn't follow the command of the Lord. He did not listen to his dad, his father's counsel, to be careful. And I think the message to each one of us, as Jesus would speak to us, He says to us, look it, we are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, but except to be thrown out and trampled by men. We are the salt of the earth. Be careful. Don't lose your saltiness. Scripture goes on to tell us, he's speaking to Peter, he says, praise God that you bear that name. It was time for judgment to begin where? In the family of God. Notice what he says, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? For if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will be, what, what will be the outcome of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good work. He says, look, at judgment begins in the house of God. We can look at our nation, we can look at the situation around society, and we can say how bad things are, things are spiraling down. But the bottom line is, it's our fault, the church. How many times I've said that as a whole, the church has lost its authority, it's lost its influence. 
because it's lost its anointing. Folks, a nation doesn't just go into captivity. No, the church goes into captivity first. The nation always follows. The church goes first and then the nation follows. The church, the church sets the course. The church sets, you set the church, the course for your family. You set the course for the church. You set the course for the nation. And Solomon was told, be careful. You're setting the course. You're called to, to pass on an inheritance. You're called to listen and to follow. You're called to, to follow wholeheartedly with a willing mind. He was warned. He said, David said, you were given everything you need to finish your chore, to finish your calling. But I warn you, son, I warn you. Verse 9 says, and to you, my son Solomon, acknowledge, notice this, I want you to acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with what? Wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek him, that word if always comes up. Always remember that when that word comes up in Scripture, it's connected to a promise. God's promise is there, but it's conditioned upon the if. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. But notice this, the choice. But if you forsake Him, He will reject you forever. Why? Why would Solomon be rejected forever? Because he didn't serve with wholehearted devotion. Not just devotion, but wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. Now we go back and remember that David told Solomon that Solomon had everything he needed, but he was going to have to serve. He was going to be strong. He was going to have to serve. And he he needed a wholehearted devotion. That's a perfect heart and a willing mind. Understand something. This wasn't something new. Just something that David had spoken to Solomon. The Lord actually appeared to Solomon just before his ministry, right? In verse 7, the Lord comes to Solomon at night and he says to him, ask whatever you want for me. What do you want me to give you? I'll give it to you. And Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, he says, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for he made me king over a people that are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Verse 10, give me wisdom and knowledge, and I want you to pay attention to this. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I might lead this people, for who is able to govern such a great people of yours? He said, I want wisdom and I want knowledge. He's given the opportunity. He says, the Lord says, I, I want you to, to do just whatever you want. Just ask of me. And I started thinking, well, I heard that before. I've heard that several times in the New Testament when Jesus would be speaking and he would say to us, to his people, to his disciples, look at anything, just ask of me. Just ask of me. Anything, just ask of me. John chapter 16, verse 23 is one of those examples. In that day you will no longer ask of me anything. I will tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And so I started thinking. If the Lord says to Solomon, ask whatever you want 
me to get, just ask for it. And he goes in the New Testament, and Jesus several times tells the disciples, you go ahead and look at that, several times, just ask of me and I'll give it. And I started thinking, hmm, we're in the same place. We're in the same place that Solomon was in. And to me, that's incredible. That promise, that call, that, that ask, that, that opportunity that Solomon was given by, by the Lord at that point is still the same opportunities, opportunity we've given this very day. But here's the problem. Solomon wasn't fully listening to his father. He partly listened, but he wasn't fully listening. And I know that because of what his response was to the Lord. When the Lord came to, to Solomon, he said, listen, ask. He could have asked for anything, anything whatsoever. If he had just stopped for a moment and rethought some things and listened to his, his father. But instead he said, Lord, I want wisdom. And I want knowledge. And I want wisdom and knowledge so I can come and go and I can judge your people. You know what he was saying? He said, Lord, I want the giftings. And I want you to pay attention to this. I want the giftings, Lord. That's what I'm looking for. You know what that, that reminds me of the type of person who comes to the Lord and says, the Lord says to him, ask whatever you want from me. Whatever it is. And the man says, the person says, Lord, I want discernment. Or the person says, Lord, I need a miracle. Ask anything you want. And the person says, I would like to have compassion. I want to tell you something. I would like to see discernment. I would like discernment and miracles and have more compassion. Those are all good things. I would like those things too. And that's okay, but. Solomon was asking, in a sense, for the tools to do the job, but without the heart to do it. That's important. Because remember back in verse 9, when, when, when David talks to Solomon, he says, Solomon, he said, my son, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him, notice this, with what? Wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. David said to him, if you... <laughs> You need a perfect heart and a willing mind. That's what you need. And if David, if Solomon truly had been listening to his father David, then he, when the Lord came to him, he said, what do you want to ask? He would have said, I want a perfect heart and a willing mind as my father. But instead he asked for wisdom and knowledge. And God would have given him everything. He'd given it all to Solomon. But Solomon wasn't listening. And how many people come into the house of God week after week after week? And it's, for them, it's just about the things. It's just about the abilities. It's just about the giftings. But how many come into the house of God and ask, Lord, I'm looking for a perfect heart and a willing mind. Here's the point. Wisdom, as good as it is, and knowledge, as beneficial as it is, Wisdom and knowledge without the heart and mind can be, can be corruptive. It can corrupt you. It can be a corrupting influence in the life of a believer. Because when you just simply have wisdom and knowledge, you become self-righteous. When you have wisdom and knowledge, you have, you become self-righteous and that begin, it opens you up to a dark soul. Your motivation is wrong. You become bored and tired. You'll give up. Remember, Paul is describing what the condition of the last day church will be. He does that over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
He said the last day church will have a form of godliness, but will deny the power thereof. He goes on to say have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with a church that is simply going through the motions of people that are just simply doing what they think they ought to do. They're always learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because they're not serving with a whole heart and a willing mind. You know, when I think about always learning, never coming to the knowledge of truth, what it literally means is this. They're never able to bring, be brought to the place where all knowledge is supposed to lead them. They're just gathering more knowledge. And we have people today, in the churches today, who are just gathering knowledge. We get more information. We, we want to know more of the Hebrew and of the Greek. And, and we, we buy the tapes. We go to conferences. But all these things are just moving us further and further away from the very heart of God. And as a result, we have no influence, no real influence in our society. While while we're learning and gathering and and all this, society around us is traveling down this this course, ever-deepening darkness, going to hell in a handbag, and we are just about more knowledge and information and wisdom. But there's no heart in learning. There's no mind that comes with it. Those things are missing. And those things are missing in, in Solomon's life too. And Solomon didn't have any idea. He didn't have all the wisdom and knowledge that he was looking for. He didn't have, he was clueless when it came to the idea that he needed the heart and mind of God because the heart and mind of God provide the undergirding of wisdom and knowledge. You gotta have that. Remind you that back in the twelfth verse, in fact, Second Chronicles, go from chapter chapter six, go through the entire chapter. We don't have time for all that, but starting at verse twelve, the temple has been completed, and Solomon now stands before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel. Remember this now. He spreads out his hands and he begins to pray. Verse fourteen, he says, "O Lord God of Israel, there is no god like you in heaven or on earth. You keep your commandment." Covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You've kept your promises to your servant David, my father, with your mouth. You have promised with your hand. You have fulfilled it as it is today. Hear the supplications of your servants and of all your people of Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place when they hear forgive. You continue to read the rest of the chapter in your own time. And you're going to find at this point the Scripture is revealing Solomon is there in the temple and the temple has been completed. He's standing on a platform which he has been designed of bronze and he begins to cry out. He's in the center of the temple and the people all around gathered and he prays this kind of prayer. The prayer he prays actually literally touches heaven itself and brings down the presence of God. started thinking. As he was praying that prayer where he was that day, do you think he ever thought that he might be, he was building, he had built a temple, a heathen temple? Do you ever think that he was, he had built a, a temple where a demonic power would come and would inquire people to put their sons and their daughters into a fire? Do you think that moment that he ever thought that he would get to the place where he thought that one God is the same as all other gods? What harm would it be if we just all get together? Just one big happy family. I despise that bumper sticker that has all the different symbols of all the different religions and the cross is there too. No, it's not. It doesn't belong there. 
I am so tempted to put this big old red magic marker circle and line through it, you know. Probably end up in jail. But it would make maybe a good billboard. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. You know, Ecclesiastes is a very dark book. Ecclesiastes is a, 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 a tragic book. Now, I'm going to take the next few moments, and I want to go through it real quick. We're just going to skim through Ecclesiastes. I know you don't think I can do it. We're going to skim through this thing as quickly as we can. Because I want us to see where Solomon ended up. Because, you see, if you and I don't have a heart for truth or a willing mind to be taken where God would lead us, then we run the risk of a dark soul. We run the, the risk of denying the very power of God. We do. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, chapter 1 verse 10 says this, and Solomon asks this question. Now remember, we just talked about how that he's at the dedication of the temple, he's crying out to the one God, only God, he's asking, he's praying, heaven comes down, this temple is filled with God's glory and his presence, and here Solomon is, years later, he says, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. That it's, it was already here long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will be will not remember those who follow. I was a teacher, a king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted my here's the problem right here. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that was under done under heaven. There's this problem. What a heaven, heavenly heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all things and have done that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, are chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened, what is lacking cannot be counted. Solomon is at the end of his life, and he's just kind of looking back, and he asks that question, is there anything new? He lost sight, folks. He lost sight of the Lord. He lost sight of what the Lord had called him to do. He lost sight of God's miraculous work. What was he devoted to? He was devoted to explore all things on heaven by the wisdom. When he was called to what? He was called to acknowledge God, to serve Him. He was called not to, not to survey the universe, not to survey all things by the wisdom. No, no. He was called to acknowledge God, to serve Him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. That's what he was called to do. He was not called to study and explore by wisdom all that was done under heaven. Remember? Remember the way he prayed? O Lord God of Israel, verse 14, there's no God like you in heaven and earth who keeps your commandment of love for your servant who, who wholeheartedly, right, going to follow you. I mean, Solomon in that prayer... And if you continue the entire chapter and it follows, you're going to find that Solomon's praying, God, he was saying, Lord, I want you to respond to the prayers of all the people who come into the temple. Those who come in the temple confused, I want you, Lord, to deliver them from that. I want you to show them divine justice and order. I want you, Lord God. I want you, Lord God. He's praying in that kind of prayer that says, I want them to get a sense of right and of wrong. I want them to understand there's a new way of thinking. I want their minds and hearts to be transformed. And every enemy that rises up, in essence, what he's praying is against your people, I want them to be defeated. 
He goes on to say, I'm praying for a, a, a fresh rain in times of drought and new provision in times of, of famine. How in the world could this man back there say, oh, is there anything new? When at one point he was praying, Father, bring something new, reveal something new. He was saying, Lord, I want you to answer the cries of every, every stranger that comes in looking for hope and help. Answer their prayer, their prayer request, Lord. Give them new strength for the battles that are going to come because there's always new battles just around the corner. At one time, that's what he prayed. But we just read how he's asking, is there anything new? He was searching all things through his wisdom, not acknowledging God. You and I both know that it's by grace you and I are saved. You, every single one of us need morning by morning new strength as we face each day because you and I cannot go on the strength of yesterday. And Solomon's experience that he had so many years prior to with the temple being established and being devo- uh, being consecrated, etc., and he couldn't just live his life based upon that experience. He needed, as we need, God's mercies morning by morning, every day of our lives. Solomon knew. He knew what was in the heart of the Lord. He knew, he knew the God who, he knew the God who, who wanted to work and create all new things. He knew that every day there was a need for that freshness in God. He knew that. He knew, he knew that God, the glory of God would be revealed continuously. He knew that. He knew that God in Christ Jesus was always creating and recreating. And folks, we know that. That's the reason why we come. The scripture tells us that all things have what? Old things have gone and all new things have been Come. Solomon gets to the end of his days and he's lost sight. He lost sight of the purpose of the temple. He lost sight of God's call in his his life. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He goes on. For a man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill. That's what he prayed for. And he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all of his toil and anxious striving with what he labors under the sun? All his days and his work is pain and grief. Can anybody get an amen to that? You know? Even at night his mind doesn't rest. This too is meaningless. And as I read that passage of scripture, I think how far he has fallen, how far he has gotten from the very heart of God. Can you imagine any church anywhere embracing that kind of philosophy and theology? No. The church of Jesus Christ, we recognize that our prayers, our prayers that God might be glorified through us and release people into life and the freedom of Christ. Folks who, who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have done nothing, amen, by grace they are saved. By the grace and by all the goodness of God. Solomon, because he wasn't serving wholeheartedly with a willing mind, he had, he saw that there was no point in working, there was no point in being blessed. Because in the end, whatever you gain is going to be given to somebody else. They didn't even work for it. And I think, you know, when I think about his theology, the way it's developed, Solomon actually had an anti-Christ theology in his heart. Because that was so opposite of, to the heart of God. So 
opposite heart of God, who Jesus Christ becomes a man who walks among us. For what purpose? To bring new life. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He goes on. I also thought, maybe he should stop thinking. I also thought, as for man, God tests them so they may what? They're like animals. Man's fate is like that of animals. The, the same fate awakes both of them. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. No man, man has no advantage over the animals. Everything is meaningless. And boy, oh boy, that's part of the philosophy of our sciences today, right? Because they fail to acknowledge God. They fail to approach this world and approach their Lord with a, with a wholehearted heart and with a willing mind. And as a result, that's what they conclude. How far? How far? His wisdom with our heart has taken him. He sees people no better than animals of no value. He's lost complete sight of the value of man who was created in the image of God. From the very moment he dedicated the temple to this moment, he's lost heart. He goes on. Again, I looked and saw the oppression. Now remember something. Who is he? He's the king. Put the Lord out of this at this moment. He's the king. He says, I looked and saw the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they had no comforter. Hello, you're the king. If you saw these things, put the Lord out of it. What did you do? Nothing. I don't get it. You had power to do something and you did nothing. All you do is sit back and say, oh, I'm just really bad and feeling sorry about all that's going on around me. You have the ability, the means. They have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressor. They had no comforter. And I declare that the dead, notice this, I did the dead, the one who are dead already are happier than the living who are still alive. Whoa! They have no comforter? That's what the temple was all about. It was about the presence of God. The temple was supposed to be a place for comfort for the oppressed, for the hungry, for the thirsty, and the captive, right? Did not the Lord speak to him that way? The temple's about people. The Word, the house of God is about people coming in contact, amen, and finding that they do have a comforter closer than a brother and be relieved from their burdens and their oppressions. Wow. And he doesn't stop there. Chapter 6. I've seen another evil, he said, under the sun. This guy needs some kind of medication, I'll tell you right now. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives them wealth. Now he acknowledges there's a Lord here. He acknowledges there's God. God gives them wealth, possessions, honor, so that they lack nothing his heart's desire. But God doesn't enable them to enjoy it. The stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless. The grievous evil. Let me tell you something. Any church or any group of people who believe that coming to Christ means increasing knowledge and opportunity to gather wealth is selfish and completely in line with the theology of Solomon at this point. At the end of his life, he says, I see men being given great resources and it's only going to be given to somebody else. What's the purpose? 
I don't know about you, but as you skim through Ecclesiastes like we're doing, we should be shocked and say, whoa, I know it was a dark book. When you're really hitting it like this, wow. Because remember, David had told him, Solomon, you're chosen. You're chosen to build the temple. You're chosen. You're chosen to build the temple. And I'm reminded once again, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Listen, this is important, really important. The Scripture is revealing that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He dwells in our, our physical bodies and we're, and we're given charge, as it were, of seeing this temple live in such a way that it becomes a place where God is glorified. The parallel is clear. At the dedication of the temple, Solomon knew that the glory of the Lord had filled the house. He knew it. They knew the goodness and mercy of God. It was revealed. They knew that. They sang songs unto the Lord that His mercy endures forever. The trumpeters would play. The people would shout. And the glory of the Lord came down upon the temple. What a glorious day that was. My question is, do you remember? Do you remember the first day? Do you remember the first time you understood that it wasn't how many good works you did to save you? Do you remember that day that you realized it was only the grace of God? Do you remember that day when, when there was a shout in your body that, and nobody had to crank it up. Nobody, no band or no choir had to, had to get you to sing the song. No, it was like I said, a fire shut up in your bones. You, you just had to, you wanted to burst out and sob. There was nothing you could do to contain it. It was there. It just oozed out, you know? Here's what the Lord said to Solomon. He says to each one of us, Look at this passage. Back to Second Corinthians Chronicles, he says this, Now my eyes will be open. He's talking to Solomon prior to Ecclesiastes, prior to this, this darkening soul that's occurred to him. He says to Solomon, he says, My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Remember, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit today. And so what's the Lord saying, said to Solomon, then he says to us now, he's saying to us, you are the temple and my ears will be open and attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Not talking about the sanctuary, but in our lives. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. Make this personal. That's what he's saying. He's saying to you and I, you are, the, you are my temple and I'm telling you I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name will be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered from this temple. See, so you and I can lay claim of this. We can lay claim of this in a very personal way. Because we understand the Lord has no dwelling place in temples made by hands anymore. He lives you and me, in you and I. And that scripture is so clear in that. He dwells in us. Oh God, no, don't be grieved or quenched in our lives. He says, I have chosen you. He says, I have made you my home. I, I, I have, I'm waiting for you just to ask for whatever you need. I'm waiting to, to give you my eyes. I'm waiting to give you my heart. I'm waiting for you to walk. I can walk together with you. Waiting for our hearts to be one. That's his message to us. You see, what in the world ever happened to Solomon? What happened to him? I think he got bored. He got bored with the work of God. He got so caught up in his wisdom, so caught up in himself, that he forsook, he just forgot. Look at the scripture says here. Kind of gives us an indication. I made it 
I darkened some of the areas. We just go very quickly. At the end of 20 years during Solomon, which Solomon built the temple of the Lord and his own palace, look what he does. Verse 2. He does what? He rebuilt. Notice how in verse, verse 4 he goes, he also built up. He goes, the scriptures, he also built. Verse 5 said he rebuilt. As well as what he's rebuilding against, all the stores. Again, whatever he desired, the scripture, whatever he desired to build, what did he do? He did. What's he doing now? What's his purpose? Is he acknowledging God in all things? No. What's he doing? He's rebuilding. He's building. He's building. He builds his own house. He builds palaces around. He builds vineyards. He begins to build terraces. He plants gardens. He, he builds, you know, animal farmhouses and blah, all kinds of things. He gets creative and he's continuing to produce creativity. He doesn't realize what it's leading him, where it's leading him. He's leading him further and further away from what he was called to be. Let me tell you something. You ever find yourself getting bored with the things of God? You need to stop what you're doing. Get back into your prayer closet once again and ask him one more time. Almighty God, help me please. I need a willing mind and what? A perfect heart. If not, we're going to end up like the church of Sardis. What is the scripture there? So to the angels and to the angel of the church of Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of the God and the seven stars. I know your deeds and you have a reputation of being alive, but you're what? Wow. Having a reputation of being alive. That means you're going through the motions, but you've lost heart. It's not a willing mind. You're just going through the motions. You've got a reputation of being alive, which means that you've got the formula down. You know how to pull the levers. You know the right songs to sing. You know how to get the tears flowing. You know how to do that. How to get everything moving. And because of what you're doing inside, because you know how to play it up, people outside think, whoa, whoa, you know, hey, they, they got life. Jesus said they think it. But I'm telling you, you're dead. You've lost heart. You've lost my mind. Your thoughts are different than my thoughts. They aren't the same. They're not the same. And you know better. And you know better. In closing, Paul would say that let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. If you and I don't have these things, if we don't have a perfect heart and a willing mind, then there's absolutely no guarantee that we won't go astray. We won't find ourselves in a dark place with a dark soul just like Solomon. Solomon lost his way. He went astray. As a church, let us never, ever, ever stray from the simplicity of the work of God in this temple. Individually and corporately. And maybe, just maybe, it's time for us individually and corporately to say to the Lord one more time, Father, we still need to maintain. Father, we rededicate. Father, our call is to acknowledge you in all things and to maintain this perfect heart and a willing mind. Keep us alive in Christ. Keep our focus centered. Help us never to get bored. Put a burden in our heart. So we're never bored with your call, your mission, and your purpose. We don't get caught up in doing things that we miss. We don't want a reputation outside these walls that we've got it all together. No, we don't want that reputation. We want lives transformed and changed.
help us to maintain that singular focus. Because it's all about people coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's about everybody coming into this temple where the God may be glorified and they might have their prayers answered and grow in Him. You know, what we consider to be our call and our purpose, at some point, Solomon considered a waste of time. No. Oh, no. No, it's not a waste of time. It is, in fact, the very life of Christ, and it should be in every one of our hearts because it's in His heart. It's a privilege for us. It's a privilege for us to walk with the Lord. And God forbid that we ever we forget and we begin to, to, to walk a pathway of life that, that simple pathway of life, and we embrace a larger gate, and that larger gate that simply leads us to destruction, the destruction of the heart. Forbid, God forbid that we forsake that pathway of life. May we always be tuned into the heart of God. May this church always be alive in Christ. Amen. These altars are open. It's time for us Spend some time before our Lord to seek Him. Not for wisdom, not for knowledge, but for a whole heart and a willing mind. And that becomes the undergirding, the wisdom and knowledge. So that us might come to know Him as Lord and Savior. Amen? Let's seek the Lord where He may be found. Amen. This is how it feels to be free. To be able to recognize we are forgiven. Even though the storms of life are below us, we can rise above. We can face whatever we have to deal with tomorrow and the next day, etc., because we know who we are in Christ Jesus. And all the things around us, well, they shall surpass. Amen. They might be difficult on hard times, difficult times, times that squeeze us and twist us and move us. But I'm a child of the King. It's all said and done. We'll receive the glory and the honor. Amen. Because I ain't going back. Father, we thank you for the word you give to us this day. Father, I pray that as we approach your throne, we'll recognize the importance of answering you when you ask. You say, ask, and I, you shall receive, and let our hearts be not caught up with the giftings, but Lord, let us be a people who cry out unto you and say, Father, grant us the ability to serve you with a whole heart and with a willing mind. Because with that, all things can be added, and you'll receive the glory and the honor. Your spirit will be free to work within us. And Father, gifts will be stirred within our lives and others will come to know you as Lord and Savior, not because of anything we have done, but because we've become vessels available to you. And together, with our giftedness, together, your church will be established and the testimony will go forth and lives can be transformed and changed. We love you so much. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Folks, it's been good. Been great. You're dismissed.